Well, good morning. It is the Monday after Father's Day and time for a little We Tackle Life podcast action. I'm Bruce Hooley. Great U.S. Open to talk about. The recruitment of a defensive end prospect that would give Ohio State an amazing pool of talent on the defensive line and how modern recruiting works in the name, image, and likeness almost era. And a press conference by our Ohio governor and by our Ohio High School Athletic Association that I think shows a remarkable inability to read the scoreboard. We will discuss all of it and have a faith portion of the podcast. At the end, Hemisphere Coffee Roasters Coffee gives you 15% off when you use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps. Hemisphere, awesome coffee, awesome people, awesome mission. They buy their coffee direct from growers around the world, Indonesia, Thailand, uh, Nicaragua, other places, and you get great coffee. And the people in those markets get more money straight from Paul and Grace at Hemisphere than they would if they went through government channels, okay? You know enough about government channels to know that everybody's got to skim a little off the top, right? And so... In these poor, impoverished countries, if they go through the government channels, eh, a lot of times they don't get very much. I don't know how Hemisphere cuts through the red tape. I just know they do. Probably because God makes it so, because it's a ministry for Paul and Grace, and it's an awesome thing that they do, and you get awesome coffee, and you get 15% off. Everybody that I know who's tried Hemisphere loves it. If you tried Hemisphere and don't love it, you'd be the first. You'd be the unicorn, but... Most likely, you're going to be a happy camper. HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps. Okay. John Rahm is your U.S. Open champion. He did it in style. He birdied the 17th and 18th holes. He wins by one shot over Louis Oosthuizen. I was rooting for Louis. I really like Louis. I don't dislike John Rahm. I think John Rahm, as I said, what, two weeks ago, got royally screwed over by the PGA Tour, having to leave the Memorial Tournament because he tested positive for COVID after two rounds in the 60s on Saturday, completing one round and then turning in another such round deep in the 60s, like mid-60s. Had a six-shot lead. John Rahm will always be, in my mind, the 2021 Memorial Tournament champion, even though Patrick Cantley got the $1.6 million check. So John Rahm, a lot of great things have happened for him at Torrey Pines. They talked about it on NBC after. His first career PGA Tour victory came there on an amazing eagle putt from the back of the green on 18. He proposed to his wife there while taking a walk on one of the cliffs, and he obviously won the U.S. Open there. So John Rahm talked about karma, and he's a big believer in karma. Uh, I'm not a big believer in karma. I'm not a big believer in coincidence. I'm a believer in uh, divine uh, impact at times, and other times I believe God lets things happen. I don't know if John Rahm has any faith at all. I don't know if that's what he meant when he talked about karma. It doesn't bother me because a lot of people talk about karma, and I've probably talked about karma a time or two. But it's nice for him that he won the U.S. Open after being uh, royally screwed out of winning the Memorial Tournament. He didn't back into it. I'll say that for him. I just would have rather seen Louie win it. But the strange thing about this Open, the Open now, the USGA has changed how they set a course up for the Open because they set so many courses up over the years to where nobody could shoot par 
and their rough sometimes is absolutely ridiculous. And I don't know if they went with less rough in some places or if it's just harder to grow the kind of grass that they have at Torrey Pines into tall, thick rough. But there were a lot of wayward tee shots, wayward at a U.S. Open is off the fairway, that were very playable. And so Bryson DeChambeau was just bombing it out there 380 yards. I do not know how that guy hits the golf ball. It's not that I don't know how he hits the golf ball that far. I know how he hits the golf ball that far. He's as big as an ox, and he swings as fast as any player in the history of golf. Clubhead speed, strength, big arc, all that. I don't know how he hits the ball with that swing. It looks so, his swing looks so incredibly weird to me. More weird than Alan Doyle from years ago on the PGA Tour. More weird than two-glove Tommy Ganey. More weird than Jim Furyk. I mean, there's some weird golf swings, but Bryson DeChambeau's is weird. Uh, I don't know. I, I, it looks like he gets no wrist in it. But anyway, he's, he hits that thing a mile Brooks Kepka had a chance. DeChambeau had a chance. Morikawa had a chance. McElroy had a chance. Russell Henley obviously had a chance. He started the day tight. He's not a great player by the standards of those other guys. Who else had a chance? Who else am I missing? Obviously, Louie had a chance. So, uh, I don't, I mean, you know, um, and the kid from Canada, Morgan Hughes, had a chance. So, I mean, they were, there were just a ton of guys in that tournament, and it was entertaining to watch. My first choice would have been Louie. My second choice would have been Rory. My third choice probably would have been DeChambeau. No, my third choice would have been DeChambeau and Kepka tie and they have to have an 18-hole playoff. Those two big dudes in an 18-hole playoff with as much as they, I don't know how much they dislike each other. So much of it may, may be a media creation or Kepka probably thinks DeChambeau's a, you know, a phony baloney science guy and uh, DeChambeau, man, kids won a U.S. Open, and he's won a lot of tournaments. So, um, you know, he's legit, but, man, did he play bad on the back nine. I felt bad for him. You shoot, what, eight over, nine over on the back nine? Wow, that was bad. So, great U.S. Open. Tender moment. John Rahm and his little child and his wife, and he was emotional, and that's great. It's what it should have been. Father's Day thing for him, his first Father's Day. He'll always remember that. I just feel so bad for Louie. I mean, sixth time he's been runner-up since he won the British Open in a major. And he's not a wayward driver to golf ball. I have no idea what he was doing on 17, flirting with that left side, because that's not necessary at all. And he birdied 18. He would have been in a playoff if he parred 17. But he didn't, so he didn't, so he isn't. And so John Rahm is your U.S. Open champion. Now, if he's right and karma has any impact on golf at all, Louis will win the British Open. Because, man, Louis Oosthuizen deserves another major. And I would love to see it. So that's my uh, U.S. Open breakdown. My attorney breakdown is Willis Spangler Starling because they're my attorney. And I think they should be your attorney because I assume you want the same thing in an attorney that I do. Somebody who's honest, somebody who has great um, expertise, somebody who's easy to talk to. You talk to the attorneys from Willis Spangler Starling, it's like talking to a friend, maybe because they are my friend, but they treat you like that too. They're not a stuffed shirt law firm, you know, super uh, impressed with themselves, too big for your time. No, that's don't go to an attorney like that. Go to an attorney that prioritizes what you have 
to get done, whether it's protect your legal rights or press illegal action. They'll be totally honest and upfront with you on what it's going to cost, how long it's going to take, their best guess. And if they can't tell you, they'll tell you they can't tell you. So I just like people who are straight shooters and Willis Spangler Starling, this bunch of straight shooters there. They're online at willisattorneys.com. They're physically located in Hilliard on Truman Boulevard, which is basically tucked between. It's just a little bit uh, north of um, the uh, Mill Run area on Truman Boulevard, kind of right there by Home Depot and Target. So real easy to get to, real easy. Willis Spangler Starling, willisattorneys.com. All right. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Ohio State football and uh, what is going to become the norm. Um, and I guess uh, I guess it's the norm because here's the thing. Ohio State recruits a bunch of elite players. There's no one they recruit that's not elite. They can't do 15 name, image, and likeness presentations for recruits and then have you know 10 other guys they recruit who they don't do one for. They have to make now, in addition to kissing every recruit's ring and texting them all the time and uh, convincing these kids that the solar system revolves around those little guy, those guys' navels, they now have to convince the guy to come to Ohio State because he can make a ton of money off name, image, and likeness. And I understand it. I know. It's part of the game. They're doing it at Alabama. They're doing it every year. I'm just saying, from my perspective, recruiting as a college coach, would be the worst thing about being a college coach. Having to grovel, beg, act like you care, act like your world hinges on every one of these guys when they're just snot-nosed kids who have, through, through some, through not all their entirely own fault, that was awkwardly stated, but you know, I wasn't going to say through no fault of their own because you have uh, the ability to have a hold on reality and understand you're just a 18 year old kid. You're not, uh, you know, the gift to basketball of all basketball players or the gift to football of all football players. But I get it. They've been told ever since they were probably 12 or 13 how special they are. So anybody who doesn't do that is out of the game. And now, besides texting them all the time, besides calling them all the time, besides writing them note after note after note and sending them all this endless stuff and throwing them a great visit and putting their name on the Jumbotron and giving them a jersey and social media, this, that, and the other. Now you got to do a presentation about how much money the kid's going to make at Ohio State. And I'm old get-off-my-lawn guy, but I hate it for the... <laughs> accomplished coaches at Ohio State and everywhere else that this, uh, and it's not the kid's fault. I get it. He's a big-time player, this JT Tuiamolo. Uh, Tuiamalo. Uh, I used to know how to say it before the podcast started. Uh, uh, Tuiamalo. Low, I think it's low at the end. Tuiamolo. Um, from Washington, state of Washington, big-time defensive end prospect, even a bigger defensive end prospect uh, than Jack Sawyer, highest-rated defensive end, highest-rated defensive prospect Ohio State's ever signed. How can a kid be better than Joey Bosa and Nick Bosa? How can a kid be better than Jack Tatum? How can a kid be better than Antoine Winfield? How can a kid be better than Chris Spielman? I don't know because those guys weren't, I, I guess they weren't rated as high or they weren't rated at all. But I just laugh when I, oh, he's the highest. Terrell Pryor was the highest rated offensive player Ohio State had ever recruited. How did that work out? So, um, but they got they all got to put on Hawaiian shirts. 
and they all got to convince this guy, oh, you're going to make hundreds of thousands of dollars coming here off buyer's imports and off whatever else. I don't know, whatever, all the Buckeye roosters and Donatos and John Deere and motorists and all the Buckeye, you know, Honda, all the Buckeye sponsors, you know. And so I, I just think this is going to be, I think it's going to be, I've, I've talked before, I don't want to be ad nauseum anti um name image and likeness guy i'm not i'm not anti name image and likeness it's the right thing i just think it's going to be very unpopular with fans eventually they're going to get tired of seeing guys do commercials it's fraught with rampant recruiting violations because i think the easiest thing for the program is to just steer the kid to a booster who'll give him 100 grand 150 grand a year to keep him happy but they don't want these guys off doing personal appearances. Well, when do they have time for that? When do they have time to go out to a car, a car dealership and shake hands? When do they have time to go film a commercial? Like filming a commercial doesn't take 30 seconds. And I'll tell you something, folks. I've been at radio stations where they've had athletes come in to record a commercial. It's painful. Painful for some of them. There's an art to like, Doing broadcasting, you gotta juice up your inflection at some points. Your phrasing, this, that, and the other—it's not rocket science, but it is a somewhat of a skill. And these guys don't all have it, so they are they coachable. How long is it going to take? And a bad commercial sounds bad. You can't hide it when a guy's not good reading commercial copy. So I just think it's going to be amazingly awkward and tough to navigate for coaches and you got jealousies with this guy's making that and I'm making this and I, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I just, oh, it's, but so everybody put on a Hawaiian shirt and recruit JT Tuyamolo and, um, hope Jack Sawyer doesn't get upset and transfer somewhere else or who knows what, I, I don't know. But anyway, they went all out and here's the thing about Ohio state. Here's the thing about Ryan day. If they do it, There'll be almost nobody, in fact, probably nobody that'll do it better. Bama will do it great. Clemson will do it great. Ohio State will do it great. They lead the world in everything, those three. That's what will happen. The kids who go there, they'll do great. And the kids who go, how do you, how does a kid, at, how does Indiana football sell a kid on name, image, and likeness? Like, what? You know, Cooter's oil change service at, Bloomington, Indiana is going to pay some Indiana football recruit ten grand to tell him, "Come on down to Cooter's Oil Change and get your oil changed." Hey, special on lube and oil. I mean, that's just the haves get richer, the have-nots get poorer. The demarcation between the great teams like Ohio State and the rest, and I just don't think it's going to be good for college football at all. All right. With that, let's focus on high school sports and Governor Mike DeWine after I remind you that auinfo.com is the place to go to get your business insurance package. Don't research it yourself. Why would you do that? Oh, I've talked to business owners. They're like, I hate doing that. I'm not going to do it. Don't make me do it. And I'm like, I'm not making you do it. AUI does it for you. And you don't pay them. So if you have a small business, 50 people, two people, doesn't matter. If you're an individual, you're not even in business. You're just an individual and you need better health insurance, tell AUIinfo.com what you want to pay, what you're paying now, what doctor you have to have, what hospital you have to have, what benefits you have to have. 
Probably don't need maternity benefits if you're in your 50s. Probably need orthopedic benefits if you're in your 50s, but not in your 20s. So those kinds of things. And you type it into a chat, you get the answer. The insurance companies pay them. Boom, simple. Turn a con- You always wanted to be a consultant or to be important enough to have a consultant. That's what AUI is. They're a health insurance, a, an insurance coverage consultant for you. See, now you're a big timer. Thanks to the uh, We Tackle Life podcast. You have your own consultant, and it's auiinfo.com. All right, to Mike DeWine and his Friday press conference at Worthington High School. I believe up front it's important to say that Mike DeWine is very well-intentioned in his effort to get all of Ohio vaccinated. I believe he definitely means well. He definitely believes in the COVID-19 vaccines. His heart is in the right place. I don't question that one bit. I think he made a mistake Friday and the Ohio High School Athletic Association, which has made a lot of really good decisions lately, by the way, along with one that I don't care for, the expansion of the football playoffs to 16 teams in each region. I think they screwed the pooch on that. They went uh, four teams more than they should have. I would have gone to 12 before I went to 16. I would have gone from 8 to 12, see how it worked out. They went to 16. I don't think it's a good decision. But I love their decision to put the basketball tournament in Dayton. I love their, love, love, love their decision to put the football in Stark County at uh, Hall of Fame Stadium, Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium. So I love a lot of the things they've done. I just really think that the OHSAA, they're in a ticklish spot. Because when the governor calls and says, hey, we want you to come out to Worthington High School and we want you to help us at a press conference to encourage kids to get vaccinated, how does Doug Ute, the OHSAA executive director, say, no, governor, you know, here at the OHSAA, we are very good at reading a scoreboard. And the COVID scoreboard in the state of Ohio says just a little over 40% of the people are being vaccinated. There is not a shortage of vaccines. There is not an unavailability of vaccines. And so if only 42% of Ohioans are getting vaccinated, Governor, that tells us that if they want to get it, they'll get it. But a lot of them don't want to get it. And we're not going to put a lean on Ohio high school athletes and give them a potential wedge issue to argue with their parents over by going to a press conference at Worthington High School saying, hey, if you want to have a fall season, you'll get vaccinated. Because in the rural areas of Ohio, and I talk to coaches in these areas all the time, I can flat out tell you, a lot of people have no interest in getting vaccinated in those areas because their experience with COVID has not been a scary experience. And the other thing that I find amazing about this COVID thing is we do not know two pieces of information that we need to know. We need to know how long are the vaccines good? Do they last six months, three months, a year, what? How long do they last? And the other thing we need to know is if you've had COVID and your body has developed the natural antibodies, how long do those last? Do they last six months? Do they last forever? We don't know those two pieces of information. And so for Mike DeWine to go to a press conference and to trot his son-in-law out there, who is a track and cross-country coach at Worthington Christian, or at Worthington, not Worthington Christian, Worthington High School, 
and to make the case, which this was a straw man argument. A straw man argument is an argument that is concocted out of straw. It sounds like it makes sense, but it doesn't make sense. And the son-in-law of Mike DeWine made the point that, hey, last fall, 40% fewer kids ran cross-country and track because of COVID. And so we need to get everybody vaccinated because track and cross-country and high school sports are great for kids, and they get all kinds of intangibles. They learn how to, you know, be teammates. and they, Yes. Okay, so let's examine that argument. Last year, 40% of kids, I'll take your word for it there, Mike DeWine's son-in-law, that the number of kids who participated in track, cross-country, whatever sport, was down. I won't argue that. I don't know that, but I just won't argue it. I'll admit that fact into evidence, okay? That does not mean <laughs> that if kids don't get vaccinated this year, that the numbers will be down 40% again. Because for your argument to be true, that would have to mean that parents and kids are as much in the dark now about COVID as they were last year. Is that true? Absolutely, unequivocally, no. That is not true. Last spring, nobody ran track because there was no track. And last fall, a lot of people didn't run cross-country because they were maybe still scared of COVID. There were no vaccines. They were told they had to wear a mask while they ran, and they didn't want to do that. None of those things apply now. None of them. You do not have to wear a mask when you run. You are not, at this point in time, asked if you're vaccinated. You can just go without your ma without a mask, whether you're vaccinated or not. I know they say if you're not vaccinated, you got to wear a mask. Nobody's doing that. And our numbers are not going up. And so that argument is a phony argument. And they trotted out a women's golf coach from Olentangy Liberty at this press conference. And she was like, well, we couldn't have graduation this spring, and we couldn't have team parties last year and we couldn't have and again i would say if you didn't have team parties last year and you didn't have a graduation this year that's an olin tangy liberty problem because i know a lot of schools where they did have banquets and where they did have celebrations and where they had in-person graduations in fact the olin tangy schools were like the only four schools in the columbus area that didn't have a real graduation so they presented these arguments like, hey, kids, you got to go get vaccinated. Now, they have no business doing that because um, I'm blessed. I get along with all three of my girls and we don't have any fights about clothes or can I do this or can I go to the mall with this friend or that friend or can I have the car? We're very, very blessed. Our girls are extremely low maintenance. But in a lot of homes, the relationship between teenagers and their parents is a challenging relationship. And for the governor and for the Ohio High School Athletic Association to get roped into this by the governor to say, hey, kids, if you want to have a season, you'll get vaccinated. And that's exactly what he said. Then the kid goes home, perhaps to one of these parents, 60% of whom have not been vaccinated, and says, hey, I got to get vaccinated because, you know, I want to play football this fall. And their parent says, well, you can play football this fall, but I'm not, you're not getting vaccinated. I'm not going to let you get vaccinated. I make your health decisions, and I'm not letting you get vaccinated. 
your sophomore in high school, the vaccine, let's say they say the vaccine's been approved for emergency use. And I'm not giving you my personal opinion on this here. I'm just saying these are conversations that could happen between parents and kids. And this could lead to a contentious argument. I want to play sports. I don't want to get, I don't want to test positive. I don't want to have to miss games. I don't want to, and you won't let me get vaccinated. I'm going to go myself. I mean, imagine the argument. So now you've given kids a wedge issue to fight with their parents over. So thank you for that, Mike DeWine. That was really stupid. And not your place, not your place at all to do that. Let parents be parents. If they want their kids to get vaccinated and they're comfortable with it being an emergency vaccine, approved for emergency use, but not approved through the normal FDA project pro, um, protocols, then they will. And if they don't, they won't. And you shouldn't be in the middle of that because it's none of your business. So uh, I know there are people who are all in on vaccines and there are people who are all out on vaccines. I've told you guys many times I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I was just told don't get it until six months after your physical because you have the antibodies. And so I'm not at the six-month point yet. And by the time I get there, my guess is we've pretty much reached herd immunity. And I don't see any point at that point, unless something changes, I don't see any point in getting it, but I could be talked into it, I suppose, uh, if in fact I end up needing it or, or have a reason to get it. So that's where I am with the whole vaccine thing, but I just think the governor made a really, really bad choice there. All right. In the faith portion of the podcast today, today is Father's Day. And so I was doing a lot of thinking about my father, and I had a nice long conversation today at church with two men who gave me a very vivid, albeit uh, disparate, differing picture of courage and of um, fatherly courage. Um, My father, many of you um, may know, I've said before, was a World War II veteran, and I never knew my father to be afraid of anything. He was an amazingly tough guy. (laughs) My dad was one tough dude, man. Uh, He was hurt many times, physically hurt. He He had an assortment of very, very debilitating and painful injuries in his life. Double skull fracture, four fingers taken off in a farming accident, lots 70 stitches one time in an accident with a saw, fell off an elevated platform at work, punched the ball through the socket in his shoulder, uh, knee replacements, had cancer, recovered from that. <laughs> I told a funny story at my father's memorial service, at least I thought it was funny, where one time he was, later in his life, he was in the hospital and you know how they take your medical history, right? And they take it like eight times. They have like every person that comes in, oh, Mr. Hooley, I want to go over your medical history. Well, my father was at times in his life, not supremely patient. This particular time he was very patient and he recounted his medical history, you know, this, that, the other, on and on and on and on and on for a long, long time. <laughs> Finally, this young uh, intern uh, girl, uh, after taking down my father's assorted uh, injuries for what had to be five to 10 minutes said, is that, uh, she said, is that all Mr. Hooley? And he held up his right thumb. He held it up like, so she could see it. And she said, your thumb, did you do something to your thumb? (laughs) And he goes, no. 
That thumb's about the only thing I haven't hurt. <laughs> so my dad suffered a lot of, and I never heard my dad ever complain about being in pain. And uh, he was tough. Okay, so that's one kind of toughness. I have a friend at my church who's a very dear man. He's a lot like me. He's And he's a tough guy, man. This guy's a tough guy. Um, but he's a tender guy, too. And in the past year, he's lost his daughter, um, who had an assortment of health problems throughout her life and was physically limited throughout her life. And um, she uh, was in a care facility and um, not quite a year ago died very suddenly uh, after having another catastrophic thing. And she always bounced back from these kinds of things. And this time she didn't. This time God wanted her with him. And today in our church, um, he told his story of walking through life with his little girl uh, as she battled various um, health issues that kept her from doing all the things that a father would like to do with a little girl. Uh, Run and skip and um, play tag and um, take her to dances and stuff like that. She was in a wheelchair and, um, and she's gone and he misses her and it's very hard for him. But he talked with great resolute strength and great um, tenderness and great determination about his appreciation for the blessing of her life in his life. And though he is still very um, torn emotionally over losing her, he is modeling tremendous courage by choosing to view it as this was God's plan for her life, and I have to allow that, and I have to now find what else God has for me and view her loss, not in terms of what I've lost, but in terms of what I gained by having her in my life as long as I did. So that is tremendous courage in my view. And then I talked to another friend at church, and we ended up talking for an hour. I know his father. I told him how much I admire his father. And I uh, want to protect their identities, but his father was, um, his father married uh, interracially, okay? At a time in our country where marrying interracially was not at all um, popular, not at all normal, not at all something that wouldn't give people a second thought. At the time that his father entered into an interracial marriage, and he's still married, it's a great family, it was a um, controversial thing, not just in society, but in the church in which they attended. And honestly, the people in that church and the people in their life were not, and the people in their family were not um, at all accepting of it. And this man, who I have known for 15 years, 
is one of the most kind-hearted, um, gentle, uh, not bitter people that I have ever met. He is extremely smart, extremely polite, uh, extremely, um, he's all, he's an awesome guy. He radiates strength, but it's the kind of strength Tony Dungy talks about, quiet strength. He has quiet strength. So I was telling my friend, who's, his, who's this man's son, how much his father, how much I, how impressed I've been by his father throughout the time I've known him, and that I can imagine that his father dealt with very di- a very difficult life. Um throughout his life as a part of an interracial marriage. And so this uh, young man and I started talking, and um, this young man confided in me about some challenges in his life that he has been battling. He is uh, in the midst of a long, protracted situation where he has been roped into a corporate situation where there's alleged wrongdoing that he had no role in, but because he was working with people who may have or may not have had a role in it, he has been marginalized by not just the company he was working for, but he has been marginalized in the profession in which he was working. And he has been unable to do uh, his job. He has been unable to work in his field. And he has battled and is battling a lot of anger over this. And an understandable, though impermissible, desire to get even, make others pay for this unjust circumstance through which he is still battling. And so I talked to him a long time about however uh, pleasing our desires to get even may seem to us, they are displeasing to God and that we have to battle and not become someone we do not want to be And that that decision, while you may feel that it's prompted by how other people are treating you, that decision is in fact 100% your decision. No one can make you do something if you don't do it. Lashing out at someone, insulting someone, physically confronting someone, plotting evil against someone, wishing evil against someone. Others may have inflicted circumstances on you that tempt you to do that, but you alone are responsible for engaging in any one or all of those things. And so I encouraged him to take a lesson from his father, who throughout his time of being uh, marginalized in in an interracial marriage years ago, modeled what Jesus did uh, when he was 
placed on trial and when he was crucified. I went through a situation like this uh, about 10 years ago where I felt like I had to get even with somebody. And I was in a situation where I was near that person. And they said something that, (laughs) in today's parlance, you would say triggered me. And so I let them have it. I let them have it verbally. And I'll just tell you that I dreamed about that moment. I envisioned that moment. I planned that moment. I relished that moment up until it happened. And in the instant that I did what I was so sure would give me great satisfaction, I instantly knew that I had lowered myself and it was no one else's fault but mine. And I regret that so much now as I regretted it immediately in that moment. And I have regretted it ever since that moment. I lacked courage in that moment. I lacked fortitude to do the hard thing, which was to act Christ-like. In uh, 2 Peter 2.23, Peter uses the example of Jesus when he was on trial, and he says he, he did not lash out. He made no threats. He trusted himself to him who judges justly. That is the hardest thing to do, I think, in life. When you have, you may be right, you may be justified, but still, it does not allow us to lash out, to get outside of our commitment to manifesting the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Okay? So, somewhere in there is your lesson for Father's Day. Three fathers who have made um, great impacts on me. My own, of course, my own father, who I love and miss very much. My friend who lost his daughter who is battling the grief and the pain of the most searing loss a person can have. And another man who I've observed from afar for a long time, and I now have a greater understanding of the kind of difficulties he endured through a long period when the family into which he was uh, married, did not treat him very nicely, but he never lashed out. By the way, they are fine now. He has been accepted. Everyone has been accepted on both sides of the marriage. That's been a very good situation for probably the last 20 years. Um, But it took a while to get there because... When you do what Jesus did in 2 Peter 2.23, when you suffer silently, when you don't lash out, 
that, that is powerful to other people. And you just have to, you have to trust that the Holy Spirit will allow God, excuse me, I misspoke. You have to allow for the Holy Spirit working on the other person's heart and God changing that person's mindset. That's what Jesus did. He trusted himself to him who judges justly. He got crucified. <laughs> Every time I hear somebody say, you know what we need to do is we need to love people more. I always want to say, you know, nobody loved people like Jesus, and they crucified him. That doesn't mean Jesus was wrong to love them. It just means that that does not mean the outcome will be as pleasant as you might envision it if you love everyone. So with that, I hope that didn't uh, neutralize the lesson. Um, but I just wanted to give some thoughts on Father's Day and how I was blessed today by thinking about how other fathers have displayed courage in their life and inspired me with the courage that they have shown. So have a great week. I'll talk to you Wednesday.